All right. Well, welcome, everybody. Good to welcome. see. Hey, thank you, sir. Uh, good to see all of you. My name's Charles Kaiser. I am the director of church planning for a church planning ministry called Mission Alive, and I'm also a church planter, uh, somebody who helps to start new churches. And we have uh, been a part and helped to start about ten years ago a church in the downtown area of Dallas called Storyline Christian Community. And that's been our, our little laboratory of uh, mission for the last decade. That's crazy. It's been 10 years. Time flies when you're having fun and being challenged uh, big time in the trenches. Um, so I'm really thrilled to be with all of you today. This is the final section in a three-part uh, conversation about finding God at the margins. And uh, the way that we're using the language of margins is uh, it's, a, it's a spatial and social kind of metaphor um, in relation to the center. If the center is a place for, uh, for comfort and security and power and control um, and likeness and similarness, uh, similarity, then margins would be other or different or cross-cultural or powerless or, um, or oppressed. Uh, it is... Um, it's outside of the center, outside of the boundaries, cross the boundary lines. And it's always true that, that one person's center or one community's center is another person's margin. So we all experience margins in some form or fashion. And to some extent, we find margins um, to be difficult because there is difference and otherness and unknown and less control and unpredictability at the margins. So in, in the first session, and you can um, listen to other ones if you like online. I think on iTunes U they are recording them and putting them up. I don't know if they're up there yet, but if you want to get a hold of the other ones, they're, uh, they should be popping up online shortly. Um, in the first session, we talked about experiences at the margins. You know, those moments when you're, uh, you're outside of your normal boundaries and you encounter God unexpectedly. Uh, your categories are exploded and um, your stereotypes are blown up. Um, and so we narrated through some of those experiences that cause us to grapple with some of our conceptions and understandings and characterizations of the margins and folks that are part of margins for us. Um, in the second session, we did some theological reflection. We talked about theological convictions about finding God at the margins. What does the story of God tell us and show us? What are some major themes in Scripture that, that show the way that God, in God's story, in the world, is at work and already present at the margins? We talked about Missio Dei and incarnation and common grace and God's preferential option for the poor. Some major theological themes that give us different ways of looking and seeing uh, at how God is at work and is already present um, at our margins. And so today, we are going to get practical, hopefully, and talk about practices. What are, what are helpful practices for engaging folks at the margins? Because um, my, my conviction is while... You know, we talked about Missio Dei, while God in his Holy Spirit and while Christ in his Lordship reigns over all the earth, while the glory of God fills the earth and God is active and at work ahead of us and around us, uh, God's primary agent in the world for mission is the church, right? Um, so it's, I want to hold both of those together. I think we can say both of those are true, that God both works beyond and ahead and around us in the church and surprises us in his Holy Spirit, but also God wants to and does use the church as a social reality in the world to embody the kingdom of God, to embody what it looks like when new creation arrives in God's world. Um, so uh, because of that, because God wants to use the church, because the Father and Son and Holy Spirit send the church into the world as a part of the mission of God, we've got to talk about practices. We've got to talk about what does it look like for us to join God. Um, we can't just believe 
that uh, God works out there. Um, it also has to show up in what we do, right? Um, if we really believe it, it takes root in our practices. Our lives change. We do something different. So um, in, in my experiences and in the experiences of my colleagues, I want to share some practices um, today. But before I get there, I want to tell you about a practice that we tried when um, we first got to the uptown Dallas um, part of town, when we were early on in the days of church planning. Uptown is just north of the downtown area, and it's where lots of young professionals live and work and play. There are about 100 bars and restaurants. There are innumerable apartment complexes and apartment communities um, and high-rises. Uh, it's a really happening place. And you have a lot of the, the mixed-use development where you have retail at the bottom and then apartments up on top. So, I mean, you can walk out the bottom floor of your building and go to Village Burger Bar. And it's pretty fantastic. Um, great areas teeming with life. So there's this one particular area um, in Uptown called West Village that's this kind of mixed-use development. It's got great restaurants. It's got a theater. It's got lots of residential living on top of it and around it. And, and in Uptown, the weekend starts on Thursday nights. Um, it's less tame, or, or it's more tame on Thursday night than it is the rest of the weekend. Um, but uh, young professionals are ready to party starting on Thursday nights. And so, you know, we thought we want, we want to find a way to engage our community, to engage the folks in our new neighborhood. Our families had moved into this uptown neighborhood as well. And we've been reading different books about church planning and ministry. And one of the books we'd read was the, um, the well-known seminal work in church growth by Rick Warren, uh, Purpose Driven Church. Maybe you remember that book. And... Uh, Rick Warren recalls a story in Purpose Driven Church about how he went out in Southern California, Orange County suburbs, not far from here, back in the early 80s, and he went door to door, and he gave a survey, and he asked several questions like, uh, hi, you know, what, what's your name, and are you, are you a part of a church by any, by any chance? Um, if you were going to be a part of a church, what kind of things would you look for? You know, just asking kind of probing questions about, um, about folks' connection to church and what they thought about it. And if they could make some wishes for church, um, what wishes would they make? And, and we read that and thought, what if we did that? What if we did that in, in Uptown on a Thursday night when the young professionals were coming out and about and hustling and bustling around and going to movies and sitting out eating gelato at Pachugo in, in West Village so we thought, okay, we'll do it. Three of us met up, and we had a little, our little survey questions so we wouldn't forget what questions we wanted to ask people. And we prayed, and we headed out. We just started, we dispersed into West Village. And I went off, and um, uh, so one, one couple um, that I met was walking by really fast. And I said, um, excuse me, uh, I, uh, and they kind of turned around, and I said, yeah, I, I would uh, like to ask you some questions, if that's okay. And all of a sudden, you know, they stop and cross their, cross their arms. <laughs> and, um, you know, maybe start tapping their foot. Um, yeah, I, my name's Charles, and I'm just, I'm just doing some listening and wondering about, um, about church and wondering if you've been a part of a church. Are you a part of a church right now? Nope, no way, nope. Um, well, um, uh, if you were to be a part of a church, what would you, what would you look for? Oh, I, let me tell you what I, what I wouldn't look for. I wouldn't look for all those judgmental churches that are around here that judge you and tell you your lifestyle is sinful and that you're never welcome and that they don't want you and they don't like you. Um, that's for sure. Uh, next question. I mean, they're, they're moving me along. Like, like, we're ready to get out of here. And, and this is flustering me. Like, this is starting to be like a nightmare of an experience for me. I'm feeling lots of pressure. Like, um, okay. Um, are, and I don't know if I got through the end of the questions. Uh, uh, thank you for your time. Um, you know, have a good evening. And they scuttled off. I hear later that my other compadres who went out about 
um, went into a grocery store and um, just uh, hit up some folks who were grocery shopping and said, hey, we'd like to ask you some questions. And they said, nope, I don't want you to ask me any questions. And the manager came up and said, um, please get out. Don't, don't do this. Um, we don't want you doing this kind of stuff. This is Dallas, Texas. Friendly. <laughs> uh, they get yelled out of this grocery store for asking questions. Um, another experience I had was of a, a male and a female, and they're walking in the parking garage going somewhere. Uh, excuse me, I'd like to ask you some questions. And um, I went through the questions, and the whole time the guy is just rolling his eyes. Um, like, well, the positive feedback, this is good, you know, positive nonverbals, thanks, not, not at all, actually. Um, and when, when we finished the interview, I said, thank you for, you know, fielding some questions. He looks to, uh, to the, the female that he's with, the person he's with, and he says, I'm really sorry. You know, this kind of stuff still happens in the South. I know you're not from around here, but like they have, they still have street preachers and stuff like that. You know, I'm thinking, I was just trying to ask some questions, right? Uh, That was one of the hardest, most horrible experiences that I had in my early days. Getting, you know, my friends getting yelled, yelled out, uh, folks um, obviously being perturbed that we were trying to get to know them. We had the best intent in the whole world. We had the, the greatest intentions. Um, but it goes to show you that, that even sometimes our greatest intentions at the margins um, have a very different impact. Yeah? Um, our, our greatest intentions um, can be misinterpreted. Um, they, they, uh, we obviously did not figure out the best way to engage folks at the margins in that experience. And I don't regret that experience because we couldn't have figured that out otherwise. We just had to get out there and figure out the hard way. I think the Lord knew that. But it was really tough. It was like, well, okay, we're going to have to go at this a different way because there's lots of suspicion. There's lots of bad experience. And even even in our desire to want to listen to people, there was something else that we needed to do to approach it before we could ever even have the, the credibility to ask a question and, and not be met with crossed arms and rolling eyes and, man, i got to get out of here. And honestly, you know, I don't blame them. Like, who wants to stop and take a survey on a street on a weekend? Like, that may be part of the strategy that needed to change, right? <laughs> um, so all that to say, that makes our posture and our practices at the margins that much more important like we we have to be thoughtful we we have to listen deeply we have to be discerning um for because um because what we intend can sometimes have a very different impact than uh, than what we wanted to um you guys help me out here help me brainstorm and feel free to use my experience as fodder for um some of your brainstorms um let's do a top 10 what are, what are 10 mistakes you could make engaging folks at the margins? What comes to mind? Assuming things. Ooh, tell me more. Like you see someone in kind of raggedy clothing, especially around LA, and they actually might be fashionable and not homeless, for example. <laughs> yeah. In Texas, we have a saying about... You know what happens when you assume, and I can't finish it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> to assume, right? Because we can. Uh, I mean, uh, stereotype and bias develops out of assumption, right? Um, we make assumptions, uh, not, not maliciously sometimes, but um, wh- uh, what it is is always is not always what it seems. Yeah, what we see, um, we can't make assumptions in that way. That's good. What else? Yes, ma'am. Rushing. Rushing. Tell me more. Well, actually, rushing and failing to appreciate another time, like kind of like what you were saying with your survey difficulty, you don't really want to assume, and there we go again, assuming things, but <laughs> we want to respect other people's time uh-huh. and 
yet still be bold in the Lord. There's some sort of a balance there. Sure. Yeah, that's good. Oh, not building relationships. Mm. <laughs> Word. Mm. Yeah, we, in, in Uptown, we, we entered those conversations very task-oriented. As much as we wanted to listen, it was about getting something done that we wanted to get done. It was not about building relationships. It was about mining the data. And but we, get, we have good intentions, but um, it's, it's hard to break through when you haven't built relationships. What else? Having a goal. Is that weird to say? Talk to me. Tell me more. Um, like, I'm going to... Instead of building a relationship, my goal is to get through this checklist of things, get them um, shelter, get them whatever it is that your task yeah, is. Yeah, an agenda. Yeah, an agenda. Yeah. Agenda project. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Make people into oh, yeah. Our full, our friends at the margins can smell a mile away. They can intuit a mile away when they are a project. They are an object. They're being objectified towards some end. Now this one is tricky. Um, because uh, I think there is some tension um, because to the extent that we want to see the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven, to the extent we want to invite people into the kingdom, like it's always our greatest hope that folks would find life and grace in Jesus. But it does, it does really muddy the water when our leading agenda is to convert or to house rather than to love and to serve and to leave the outcomes to God and to leave the outcomes to, uh, to what comes up in this person's heart as we love and serve them uh, alongside the Holy Spirit. I, I think you're on to something there. Yeah? I was going to say, I don't know really how to say this, but kind of acting or, or appearing like you're bringing the kingdom to them. Oh, like Ooh, God is the kingdom yeah. is there. God is already working. Yeah. And I think sometimes we come in acting like we're bringing them salvation, and uh, not realizing that many of them, when we can get, when we can find out, are already in a good place and we can learn from them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And that—that's a, a lot of my stories about learning to find God at the margins. Really subverts this kind of. You know, traditional evangelism and mission kind of live in, in a traditional paradigm of mission when when mission is a ministry of the church and something the church does and the, something the church brings to the world, we can get tricked into thinking that we are bringing God to folks. And scripture, the story of God, the missio Dei, that God's work in the Holy Spirit ahead of us shows us that that, that ain't happening. We're not... We're not bring, God's already there. God's ahead of us. God is working all throughout the world in his Holy Spirit. And we just get to join up and be a part. And more than that, like, we get surprised and find God, like, blessing us and challenging us and growing us and bringing salvation to us as we engage the margins. Woo! That'll preach. Okay, what else? That one is a real tricky one, uh, acting like you're bringing salvation. Because on the flip side of that is we can get really disappointed mm. and take it as a personal rejection. Mm. Mm. Yep. That's right. And that's difficult. I'm an otter. That's hard for me. <laughs> I don't know if this has already been said, and I'm just saying it in a different way, but, but having... A vision of what the outcome is going to be, rather than being led. Mm-hmm. Yes. Excuse me. Yes. We. Um, it, it's the illusion of control is so much more comfortable, at least at the beginning, than because um, I don't think we are really in control. We just like to think that we are, um, and so that having a vision of the outcome kind of relates to that. Um, versus discovering or whatever your word was. That's right. Being being led. led. Being led. I think you kind of touched on it earlier, but um, 
assuming that people in the margins don't have community because uh -huh. they do have their own community. It's just different than ours. Or I mean, most of them. <laughs> Probably some of them are lonely, like everyone else. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, some, um, and I, I mean, I, I don't think we can assume anything, really. Uh, some, some do, uh, others don't. Uh, if, if margins are racial, religious, sexual, economic, social, um, like social margins, inherent to social margins is ostracism and isolation. Um, so, so folks, um, folks could very well be disconnected, but you're exactly right. Like on the economic <coughs> margins, lots of my friends on the streets and in poverty have very deeply connected relationships and they have for decades. That's how they survive. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. I think in these groups, it's really important to establish credibility. Establish, so what would be the mistake? It's not a mistake. It's, I'm with Mission Alive. I got a couple of questions. Do you uh -huh. believe in God? Uh-huh. Sometimes these people want some, they like credibility. They, you're saying that they would value that. Rather they would than, value that rather than somebody just walked off the street and said. So if you're doing it for a specific purpose or with a specific um, group, you say that. They may not even hear that, but it gives a little credibility to your questions. Sure. Yeah, I think this may be connected to the right relational piece. In my context, there's big time institutional suspicion. Mm -hmm. yes. So to say I'm coming in the name of, it's yeah. like colonialism. You know, like yeah. who are you going to dominate me? You know, in the name of uh, that doesn't bring credibility. But I do think the desire to seek to build credibility uh, usually it comes relationally. Um, when we don't do that, uh, that's a big mistake. That'll get us in trouble at the margins for sure. All right, last one. Yes, sir. Need to show that you care. You know, this is the, you know, people want to know how much you care and that you care for them before they're interested in what you know or what you're going to bring to them. Huh. Which is all about number three again, relationships. Good. Good. Thank you all. All right. So we did a, a top ten of mistakes, and we could probably make that twenty. If we wanted to, uh, I want to offer uh, my my top ten. This is not exhaustive. I want to offer my top ten practices um, for engaging folks at the margins. Um, practice number one: presence. Um, this is this is very simple and yet very profound. Because a lot of our church culture, when it comes to mission, is built around come and see. Um, and and the, the church turf that we're very comfortable and familiar with. And come and see is not inherently bad. Um, it's effective and has been and will continue to be on some level in a lot of contexts. Um, but because of the marginalization of the church... Because of this rising suspicion, because of baggage, because of the dynamics of center and margins and all of that, um, come and see can't be our only tack. We have to go and find. We have to have a way of being present. Um, not, not dropping in for a service project where we control the parameters first. Not dropping in to do a program or a ministry first. Um, but... but like Jesus, uh, moving into the neighborhood and taking up residence and being present. Uh, just existing there. Existing in a space where, um, where you are not in the center. Uh, being, being present. I think one way that, uh, um, that we do that, one way that we are present with people at the margins, uh, someone said this yesterday, uh, about acknowledging their humanity. And as, it's as simple as when I was in Memphis, um, I was a part of the Highland Street Church. And at the time, Highland Street was right in the 
right in East Memphis, um, just outside of downtown. And there were plenty of folks in poverty in the neighborhood around. It was not uncommon to run into somebody at the gas station who needed help or who was hungry. Um, and one, one thing I learned early on um, from, from my friends and from my mentors was to acknowledge the humanity in the folks at the margin, which, which you can do it really easily. You look people in the eyes and you smile. And, you know, lot, uh, if they're asking for something, um, I'll stop and say, hey, I'm Charles. And I'll reach out my hand and I'll shake their hand uh, and say hi and learn their name and ask how their day is going and acknowledge that they are a person and not something less than. They are someone created in the image of God. That's, that's just part and parcel of, uh, it seems like being a decent human being, right? But that's being present. That is just being a person among people at, uh, at the margins. It, it has to start with presence, where we, uh, we don't hold the agenda or control the parameters or whatever. Um, the second practice is listening. We, we talked about yesterday, it came up, the power of, uh, of a good question. One, um, one mom talked about how she's learned from her young adult children. They were, they were on their way somewhere, and someone gets on public transportation with them, and they're, it's a couple, and they're having a fight, and things get really heated, and they kind of you know, subside, and, and her daughter um, just looks over at this young woman that's just been in the heat of the conflict and said, so... What's your story? And, and it unlocked a world of conversation. One question, what's your story? Because uh, that woman went on to vent about everything that was going on in her life. She needed somebody to talk to. Um, that's a wonderful way to be present at the margins. That's, there's, there's power in questions. And you see Jesus doing this in the Gospels. Jesus leads with questions. Folks come with agendas and their own ideas, and Jesus is always quick to say, um, not, not to say some content, but to ask a question, to, to invite a response. Um, and there's a way to do this well, and there's a way to do it not well. Uh, one thing I learned in coach training is the difference between an open question and a closed question. Have you all ever heard the difference? Mm-hmm. You know, closed questions require a person to, they lead a person to say yes or no. So, do you think that that was a good game? No. You know, that's a closed question. Um, Is it true that the weather is good today? Yes. You know, it it closes people, right? So, open questions um, start with words like what or how. Um, So, what's your story? Um, It opens a world for folks to come in and share their life, their perspective. Um, there's power in good questions. One of my friends, Tom, is really good at this. And he talks about how thrilling it is for him to discover people. He loves to discover people. Um, and he does this in his workplace. He'll invite folks to go to lunch with him that he doesn't know very well. And he'll just ask them questions. Tell me about your life. Tell me about your family. What are your, uh, do you have kids? You know, what's your, what's your uh, marriage like? Or what, what are your hobbies? And he'll just take his time discovering another person. That's a fantastic way uh, to be present at the margins. To be curious, to ask good questions. The third practice um, I would call grace giving. So you've heard of gift giving. Um, a certain kind of gift giving I call grace giving. And um, there are different ways of getting at what I mean by this. Um, this, is, this is simply to say, uh, when, you, when you encounter folks at the margins, and uh, inherent to the margins is this sense of difference or otherness, um, it's going to creep up in you as it has in me probably, I would suspect, um, some... Um, Oh, I don't know, irkedness? Like, oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I think about that. Or that person just dropped the F-bomb six times in 30 seconds. And I'm, I'm not really used to 
hearing that kind of language. I wouldn't let my kids talk that way. So there's all kinds of, our, our value world is kind of bubbling up in relation to the value world that we are experiencing at the margins. And we've got to give grace. Um, in parenting, Julie and I learned this great concept called being shock-free parents. Uh, when our kids you know, do something outrageous, rather than blowing our lids or firing off in judgment, um, we, we play it cool. We say, oh, that's interesting. Um, why did you say that? Tell me more about that. Um, instead of blowing up and shutting them down and scaring them to ever want to share anything with us again because, we, oh, we freaked out when they said this or when they did this. Our friends at the margins need us to be shock-free. We, we gotta, we gotta, we've got, uh, Hugh Halter calls it whimsical holiness. <laughs> we, we, we're committed to holiness, but we've got to have this sense of whimsy so that we can hold it loosely when we're around folks and not, uh, and not come at them with great judgment and critique and challenge. That's no way to build a relationship. And let me tell you how I get there personally. Um, I just remind myself, I am really broken. <laughs> and the Lord has great patience with me. Uh, there is no reason why I should not extend that same grace and patience to this person in front of me. And the truth is, I may not understand enough about the world that they're living in to have anything credible to say or even the right perception about what's going on in this moment to, to offer judgment about their life or what they're doing or offer correction or whatever. Lead with grace. Give them grace. Be shock-free. Be non-judgmental. Um, I remember being in uh, uh, Regina, Saskatchewan. And Julie, I don't know if I've told you this story um, uh, before. I hope I don't get in trouble for it. Uh, it's, about, it's about Ryan. I took Ryan, my now 12-year-old. He's 11 at the time. Um, we went on a mission trip uh, a, a summer or two ago, last summer, um, up to Regina, Saskatchewan. That's where one of my church planning colleagues is. And Kevin works in north central Regina, which is the roughest neighborhood in the whole province. Um, it is the, the crater of historic oppression of First Nations people who are just devastated by colonialism, by residential schools, by, uh, by the oppression of the Catholic Church, unfortunately. And Kevin ha and his team have made it their lives to be present among um, the folks in those neighborhoods. There's a lot of drug addiction. Um, there's a lot of broken families. Their work is primarily among the next generation that's going to blossom and grow up out of these neighborhoods. And um, so we get there, Ryan and I, this is his first mission trip with me. Eight. and. He's, he is 11 at the time, 11 years old, and uh, they picked us up from the airport. We're dropping everybody off. It's pretty late at night, and we're right in the heart of North Central, and, um, and a guy rides up on his bike saying, Kevin, Kevin, where are you at? Kevin, he could, he could see the sign on the van, so he knew Kevin was close, probably driving the van. Kevin, and Ryan is... Um, looking around, wondering, like, what is this guy yelling for? And um, Kevin comes out, guy gets off of his bike. Um, it doesn't take long uh, talking to this fella to know, that, to see that he is, um, he's high on something. And Kevin knows that, and, and Kevin is, he's so perfectly shot free. Ryan, however, like, he doesn't have that filter yet, and he's, like, hiding behind me like that. What? What's going on? This guy's acting weird. You know, he's acting the way sometimes we feel on the inside, but we're able to curb it. Um, but, but in Kevin, we see, I mean, he was so gentle and kind and loving to this guy. And the guy's just talking about um, trouble in his family, and he hadn't been able to sleep, and he just rides around in the neighborhood all night because he's not able to sleep. And Kevin, I just need you to pray for me, man. I just need, I need for you to pray for me, man. And, um, and so Kevin prayed, for, we got to circle up with him and pray for him right there at 11 p.m. Uh, at night. But I, I saw in Kevin, um, and, and Kevin kind of exudes this vibe, like he's present in the neighborhood, 
Um, he, uh, he listens deeply to the people around him, and he, he gives grace. It wasn't a moment for challenge and correction. I mean, the guy was high. He couldn't receive that, right? Um, he loved him. He loved him, and he prayed for him. Um, Kevin models this posture of folks at the margins. Um, the fourth practice, being a guest. I'm trying to subvert all of the power dynamics of, of heading out to the margins because um, they, they are so sneaky and they want to creep up there. And so a lot of these practices are an attempt to subvert our impulses to, to manage, to control, to predict. Because um, when we do that, uh, it's easy to factor the Holy Spirit like right out of the equation. Um, when, when we're not holding that stuff loosely. Um, and so our posture at the margins, rather than first being a host, we have to first be a guest. Um, and what does a guest do? When you go over to somebody's house, um, you, you receive, right? You are, you are um, giving yourself over to the graciousness of your host. That's very different than the, all right, let's go to the margins and this is what we're going to offer and this is what we're going to share and this is what we're going to give. Um, we see Jesus going to the, to the well and receiving and being a guest, receiving a drink of water from the woman at the well. Um, we see Jesus invited by Levi, hey, come to my house and hang out with all of my other uh, socially shady friends, you know, that everybody hates. Okay, and Jesus goes, and he's a guest at his table. All throughout the Gospels in Jesus' table ministry, it's not Jesus' table that he's sitting at. He's being a guest. He is, he is coming into the hospitality of others, which is why when Jesus sends the 70 out in Luke 10, um, he sends them to receive hospitality. Don't take much with you because uh, you're going to encounter God at the margins. Keep your eyes open for people of peace who will say, hey, come and stay at our place and sit with us and talk to us about the kingdom of God and, and bring us good news and bring us healing. Yeah, stay with those people. Depend on their hospitality. Be a guest. Being a guest kind of gets us out of the the control mechanisms that are sometimes embedded in our practices at the margins. Uh, we have to learn um, to be guests. To be a guest is to be vulnerable. It is, it is to practice submission to someone else, which it is to allow ourselves to be served, um, to humble ourselves, and, and to, to forego the pride of feeling like we're, we're bringing something first. Um, at the margins, the best first posture is to receive, to be a guest, to open ourselves to finding God in other people. It's not that there's not a place to practice hospitality. There is. That's the fifth practice. Um, hospitality literally means um, love of strangers, not a nice dinner at grandma's house after church on Sunday. Um, um, with all of our family who we know. That, that can certainly be hospitable. But when, when folks in the New Testament talk about hospitality, they're talking about welcoming the other. They're talking about opening our arms and our lives to folks at, um, at the margins, inviting other people um, into our lives. And I think about our, our, um, our work right now. I'm a part of a missional community. And I'll talk a little bit more about this in a second. I'm part of the missional community that's identified this group of people at a bar, um, at a theater down the street from us, and every Sunday night there's a board gaming group that meets at this bar. And so, um, uh, you know, rather than come in with evangelistic tracts and, you know, gospel presentations, we came in and just joined up and started participating in this board gaming night every Sunday night. I remember the first night that we went. Um, this is a new environment, and 
I feel like I'm in junior high. I'm nervous. Like, am, are people going to like me? Am I going to meet anybody? You know, will I get along with folks? Will I have any idea about the games that we're playing? Because I'm sure I will not have heard um, any of them. I am a right brain person, not a left brain person. And I remember meeting Garrett for the first time, who was the ringleader of uh, that game night. And I remember him saying, hey, how are you guys? I'm so glad you're here. Hey, come sit down over here and you can be a part of this game. And he proceeded to, uh, it was probably Seven Wonders, if any of you are board gaming <laughs> geeks. He proceeded um, to say, hey, have you guys played this game before? No, I've never even heard of it heard of it before. Okay, well, let me teach everybody how to play this. And he took 15 or 20 minutes teaching us all the rules to the game. There were a couple of us who were new. And I mean, that was our entree of hospitality into this group of folks. That was the being the guest part, right? So as we're present over time, six or eight or nine months, um, what starts to happen is they start to invite us out of that bar and into their homes. Like uh, every Saturday, they have this board gaming marathon at Garrett's house from 2 until 10 p.m. at night. And, and we knew that um, we were um, being received and that we were, we were um, breaking through a little bit in our friendships when we started getting invitations to come and play and hang out with them at their house. And so we would go, and a small number of us would join this group of about 20 people once a month to go to Garrett's. And over time, it made sense, you know, um, we should reciprocate, right? That's what people do. So um, we, we all have young kids. Lots of them have young kids, but there's not really any board gaming group that, um, that is friendly for families with kids. Um, and so what, what if we start a family game night? We'll invite everybody to bring their kids, and the kids can watch shows or play games while we're playing games, or they can play games with us. Um, and so before we know it, we've got this whole network of folks coming over to our houses once a month as well. And the, the number of folks from the Alamo vastly outweighs the number of folks in that tiny little missional community that went there to be present. Uh, and that's what hospitality looks like, right? We receive hospitality and we extend it. We welcome people into our life. Um, and, and there was this, there, this pre-existing community that was there in the Alamo that we found. And we've seen God at work in that. What's been brilliant and, and amazing is the way that the world that, and the team that we were coming with has started to become part and, and join up and be a part of the fabric of this community and and have conversations about God and life and the kingdom of God along the way as we share hospitality. Um, so hospitality is a big one. All right, the, uh, the next practice I would say is just, uh, uh, I say community as a way of saying, it's funny to me that all of us, I would assume, and assuming is dangerous, so have, give me grace, I'm using some of these practices in my benefit. Um, my, my sense is that all of us intuit that when the church worships, it should worship together. It should have some times when it's worshiping together, right? Now, um, when, when it's time for fellowship, I think all of us intuit and assume that inherent in fellowship is other people, right? <laughs> so for the church to fellowship, we, we assume and expect to do that together, right? It's not really fellowship. It's not, it's not community. It's not relationship building unless we're doing it with the community of faith, right? So why is it when it gets to mission that we uh, so often say, go out and be a good missionary, kind of by yourself? Be a, be a missionary in your workplace. Be a missionary in your neighborhood. Um, we, we intuit that we worship together. We intuit that we do fellowship together. But when it comes to mission, it turns individual all of a sudden. Which is one reason I think mission for the church has not been super sustainable. Because uh, we weren't meant to go on mission by ourselves. Um, and so I think part of the practice of community at the margins is realizing that even Jesus, when he's sending folks into mission, he's sending them at least in pairs. 
And, and this is not like a pragmatic strategy as much as um, the indivisible number of the kingdom is at least two. Um, the kingdom of God is inherently relational. And, and, and the church and the good news of Jesus is inherently relational. It's a social reality. And so we can't engage folks at the margins, finding the presence of God and inviting people into the kingdom of God unless we're doing that as a social reality, as a group of people. Now, now that doesn't mean bringing 400 people to the Alamo and conquering everybody, but it does mean we don't have to go by ourselves. Like, we can team up and do this together because it's a social reality. Folks see the gospel embodied in our relationships with one another. I'll tell you, I'm way less scared to death to go on mission when I can go with my buddies um, than, than I am if, at the prospect of feeling like I have to go it alone. We can at least be scared together, <laughs> which is comforting, right? So there is a, there's a role for community, which is why in, um, in Storyline we talk about missional communities, um, these extended families, uh, the, you know, a, a group of people, like 20 or 30 people that identifies, okay, this is a group of people at our margins that we really want to love and serve and invite into the kingdom of God. And we're going to do it together. Maybe we have other um, ways that we're living on mission individually in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, but, but the way that we're learning to live on mission and, and a strong and robust expression of our efforts in mission um, is doing it together, is, is living and being present together among this particular group of people at the margins. And I'm not talking about a ton of people. In our missional community on any given night, when we're being present at the bar, there's three or four or five of us. Um, but it is, it's, significantly, it's a significantly different dynamic. When, when, you're, when you're engaging the margins as a team rather than as an individual. Um, the next practice, uh, expectant prayer. Um, this goes in two ways. Um, number one, I think we have to have a posture of prayer um, to take us out of uh, our tendencies to want to manage and control and predict, right? Um, where, where instead of... Uh, focusing on the outcomes, we focus on being led. And so we pray, um, God, help us to see what you're up to. Um, help us to see you in every person that we meet tonight. Help us to see open opportunities for conversation. Um, help us to love these folks well. Help us to listen deeply. Give us a sense of what you're up to. So we're praying, expecting God to connect the dots for us. And when we do, let me tell you, it is pretty awesome. I mean, God just logs stuff up there for you. And if you prayed expectantly, you could be like, thank you, Lord. You know, there's this special connection to see God at work when we pray expectantly. And there's another dynamic of expectant prayer is where we, we offer to pray for people at the margins. Um, that sounds simple. Um, but it really is powerful. Um, as we get to know folks, as we're present with them, as we're listening deeply, they're sharing their lives with us. They're sharing their heartache, their brokenness with us. And one of the, one of the most powerful things that we can do um, is to, to pray for them, to say, can I, is, would it be okay for me to ask God uh, to bless you in the midst of it? And not to get all jargony or religious in our language, just to say, God, would you help my friend? Um, would you help them find a job and provide for them? In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I had a friend, uh, actually a colleague, uh, uh, do this exact thing in his neighborhood. One of his non-religious friends, um, who was not super talkative or, um, or excitable, um, shared with him as they got to know each other that he was unemployed and that he was kind of stressed about finding a job. Um, he was going to interviews. He had some opportunities. And so Alex says, hey, um, you know, I know you're not a religious person or whatever. I'm a, I'm a person of faith. I, would it be okay if I prayed about that? And um, you know, his friend was like, okay, kind of ambivalently. Said, you know, Lord, would you help? Would you provide uh, my friend a job? And so they go about their way. 
um, Alex is walking his neighborhood um, a week or two later, and he's walking past his friend's house, and he looks out of the corner of his eye, and he sees this guy running for him <coughs> down the drive. Hey, Alex! Alex! He runs for I got a job! I got a job! And he gets close to Alex, and he said, and I know it's because you prayed for me. Oh, my goodness. Space is opening up for the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, that, that is, that's the power of expectant prayers, is God wants to um, work. And, and when he sends the, the, the 70 in Luke 10, he says, go and tell people God is the king and he cares about you. What would you like God to do for you? And then to pray for that, to pray for healing, to pray for deliverance, to pray for blessing and provision. And when God does that, whoa, the kingdom breaks in. Space is made for the kingdom at the margins. Um, number eight, authenticity. In the words of the genie in the movie Aladdin, <laughs> be yourself. Just be yourself. Be the spiritual Jesus-following person that you are. I think the tendency at the margins, especially when they're, they're religious margins, um, is to kind of hold who we are back here. Um, uh, you know, I think, and it can be an overreaction to being present and listening, you know, as, as if we kind of withhold who we are. If we're going to be friends, if we're going to love and serve people, there's, there, there has to be reciprocity, right? Like, there's, there's getting to know and there's being known. And so we need to be ourselves. We need to be open. Um, we need to share our own struggles, our own brokenness, our own challenges with our friends. Um, that doesn't hurt them and push them away from the kingdom of God. That, that draws them in. That helps them to see, ah, oh, there's more similar than I thought there was between us. Um, we just we need to be ourselves. And instead of holding who we are, the spiritual side of ourselves, um, we, we hold it out here. We're, we're open about it. We talk about God with our, with our friends at the margins the same way we would with our church friends because uh, it's part of who we are. Um, and, and our friends, I'm finding my friends on the margins, they aren't put off by that. If I'm doing it um, out of my own perspective and not with, with an angle or a subversive agenda like proselytize or something, um, they really appreciate it. And when we're friends, um, they, they hear it in a different way because they're not an object that I'm trying to convert. They're somebody that I love, who I care about. And this is the perspective. The only perspective I know is as a Jesus follower, and that's the one that I bring. So be yourself. Uh, be, yourself be authentic at the margins. There's some reciprocity there. Um, getting close to the end, number nine, resilience. Um, you will make mistakes. You will have moments in Uptown where you don't pick the best approach to surveying people and you get yelled at and you, uh, it kind of devastates you for a little while and makes you never want a church plant. Um, wait, you know, just hypothetically, right? Um, you'll, you'll, you'll experience failure. You'll, you'll make mistakes. Um, don't let that paralyze you um, from engaging the mission. Again, that's another control thing for us, right? We don't want to make mistakes. We don't want to faux pas. We don't want to put our foot in our mouths. Uh, but like culture, um, culture specialists would say, um, this is true for kids. This is true for cross-cultural kinds of experiences. The only way you learn the codes and the messages of a culture is to violate them. Uh-huh. Yeah? Uh, you, you have to... Uh, you have to mess up sometimes to figure it out. Um, and so, if that's inevitable, um, practice resilience. Uh, practice what Angela Ducksworth, Duck, uh, Ducksworth calls grit. Be a person of grit at the margins. If you fall down, uh, you know, Brene Brown says, rise strong. Get, uh, the, di- the difference is in folks that get up off the mat when they get knocked down. So be resilient. You're, um, you're going to experience failures and mistakes. You're going to screw up. You're going to stick your foot in your mouth. There is grace for you and for me at the margins. And I think you'll be surprised the grace that you'll find 
in your friends at the margins. If you take postures of listening and presence and, and uh, grace-giving yourself, you'll experience the grace of God through your friends at the margins. Um, okay, final one is celebration. This is kind of a twin. Practice celebration. Uh, one thing we do in our missional community uh, every time we gather kind of as an extended family to do discipleship and to worship together is we debrief about the mission. We say, okay, what's been going on? What stories do we have to tell? How have we seen God at work? And I can come into those kind of debrief experiences. We probably take 15 minutes to do this. And it's really just an extended time to give thanks for, wow, I had the most amazing conversation with Nick about Jesus. And I'm just pumped about it. Like, he's really searching for God. Um, and everybody gets to hear that and be like, whoa, that is awesome. Let's keep at it. So it's uh, the celebrating together as we're on mission at the margins sustains us. It helps us to identify how God is at work and how, how God is moving among us and among the folks that we're encountering at the margins. And we need to celebrate that. Um, I think sometimes, if you're anything like me, our tendency can be to kind of put our heads down and go after it. And really, we look up when we get tired and exhausted and forget, you know, the celebration thing and keep plowing again. And we just, um, over time, we can get discouraged. We can get disappointed. We can get bitter. Um, Celebration is an antidote for that. It helps us to see the bigger picture. It helps us to identify the work of God because God is at the margins. Um, we just we got to open our eyes and help him, ask him to help us see him. Um, all right. Hmm. Y'all want to talk or you want to hear a good story? You want to talk? Well, no, I just have a question. Okay. So I love, I love hearing the stories of how you embrace that community and and go into the margins. How? How would you say you've brought people into like the word or like how how have you seen like do they come to you and they're like hey can you tell me about this verse that I or you know like how do you uh-huh. how do you go from just being a part of the community to like intentionally leading them uh-huh. um, without agenda setting right so there is a lot I mean it is a uh, um, it's an art and not a science, right? It is, uh, it's a dance and, and not a formula. Um, it is, um, uh, it's being led and not kind of predetermining the outcomes. Uh, I think it bubbles up. I mean, if, if, I am, if I'm practicing authenticity um, and I'm practicing deep listening and friendship with folks at the margins, um, inevitably, the stuff of life the um, uh, the deeper stuff that folks are struggling with comes to the surface, and when I say just be yourself, um, I I mean uh, share good news with them in those circumstances. And you know Jesus, when he sends disciples out, he tells them to look for these people of peace, uh, and he tells parables like the soils, like some soil will be hard, and it'll some soil will fall in the thorns and some soil will find the good soil Um, and so we're we're constantly seeking to identify okay we don't we're not interested to coerce anybody into the gospel that doesn't do anybody any good but whose hearts are opening and blossoming toward God and toward the kingdom and those are the folks we go deeper with Um, I often invite folks to lunch and hear their story what's your spiritual story you know, I know about your family. I know your work life. Like, what's, uh, what, how's God a part of that for you? Um, and it emerges um, in some funny ways. There's one guy that uh, he grew up Catholic. Uh, he's Filipino. And um, he's major big time burned on church. And of all things, he's like, you know, I'd really like to go and visit this big mega church in town that's well known for its Racial bias and prejudice. Oh, no. Okay, well, let's go together and see what space 
might open up for the kingdom of God. Um, that <laughs> we're, uh, we're, we're being led, right? And I don't know how it's going to turn out, but it will provide an opportunity to have conversations and to say, you know what, there are some Jesus people uh, that don't feel that way. That's, that, that is not the only way. Uh, really, that's not the way to follow Jesus. Um, there's a better, there's a different way. Um, Julie Kaiser. I was just going to interject that. I think when people see that your grace is being authentic, that it makes sense that you're safe. You know, at this point with this group of people, there are people say I'm having shoulder surgery. You can talk to people with one guy I'm suicidal. Um, someone's marriage is falling apart. Um, so many different things. I was burned in religion. Like, they ask Charles what he does. Mm-hmm. We tell them, like, oh, man, you know, I'm I've been burned. I think that when they feel that you're grace giving, there's that no shock value of we live together or we, you know, just the language and all that. But some of the, so many of those things come to fruition themselves without a whole lot of thinking or planning about it. Um, and then when they see that you receive what they say safely, then it just seems so like naturally all from there. Gosh. Um, and a lot of that expected prayer space comes in. Like, this is what we ask God to do. And, because everyone lives life and doesn't, you know, has hurt, pain, and emptiness in their life. Once they really feel that grace giving, you don't really have to plan what you're going to say or what you're going to share with them. Like they want that. You know, they want someone to bring them that hope back to life. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we're a little bit after three, um, so I want to respect your time. Um, and let me let me uh, pray a prayer blessing for all of you uh, as we head out. Lord, thank you for this group of people. Um, Would you fill them, anoint them with your Holy Spirit? Um, Would you lead them to where you are, out in the frontier, out at the margins where you are healing and restoring and renewing the world? Um, Would you bless my friends as they they venture out and take steps and make experiments to, uh, to sniff out what you're up to at the margins in our world? In Christ I pray. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, thank you.